about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Roger, I'm one of the ministers here. Um, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of coming to your Word this evening. We ask that as we look at it together, that you would help us understand uh, what your Word says to us. And we pray that as we uh, continue to think about how it shapes our lives, uh, that we might be able to live those lives uh, in full dependence on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last three weeks, we have been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we've been looking at a number of things in that chapter. Uh, The first week, we looked at things to do with marriage um, and thought about how marriage works. Last week, uh, we talked about the idea of remaining where you are, or the concept of blooming where you're planted is another way of thinking of that. Um, And this week, as we come to the final section in our passage uh, for 1 Corinthians 7, we're thinking about the whole notion of singleness and what that means. Now, as we mentioned uh, when we talked about marriage, we live at a time where there is lots of romantic notions about being couples and being married. Um, We have shows like Farmer Wants a Wife and those other dating shows where I think there's one where you're blindfolded and you kiss one another and... You know, all dating naked, someone told me about the other day. I can't believe it. Anyway, all these kind of things that are around that kind of heighten the romantic nature of things. And certainly as I've met with couples over the years and uh, used a thing called prepare, which kind of measures whether people have an idealised view of marriage, what I've found is actually people increasingly have an idealised view of marriage. Um, And people want to kind of have these amazing relationships which will be just perfect. Of course, we live in a world that actually is much more complicated than that. Um, The reality is if you go to China uh, with the one-child policy, uh, there are many people who are single. I understand in places like the USA and Britain, uh, there are more people who are not married than there are people who are married. Uh, In Australia, I understand it's about 50-50 in terms of people who are married and not married. And so the notion of singleness is actually there, and people are not dealing with it very well. Um, Most of the main religious groups and cultures don't seem to deal with it very well. I heard of an example just today, actually, where a a woman was visiting another nation, another culture, and she was serving, helping serve uh, chai tea, and uh, one of the women in the group said... You are unmarried, and made it really clear to everybody around her that she was not married and that she should be married. Of course, Mormons and Muslims and those who are Jewish and indeed Christians add to this as well. Uh, We take up verses like, the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I I will make him a suitable helper. And then a little later on, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And so there's this tremendous pressure within our culture, but also within church life, to see being married as kind of an ultimate goal, as something which you should be aiming towards. 
Now, as I've spoken with people over, the, over many years, there are all kinds of stories about people with those kinds of expectations asking single people quite unhelpful questions. Like, why are you still single? Or giving their friends, um, their single friends, a list of names of men or women who might be appropriate to approach. Or making comments about their looks and saying, well, if you tied it up a little bit, maybe you'd be more approachable. Or have you tried internet dating? That might work. And in some cases, actually, I was part of a panel recently where the woman who I was part of the panel was uh, was asked, um, so when, when have you had sex? It's like, what? Did, did, did that conversation just happen? It was, it was just totally inappropriate. And so all kinds of questions um, get asked uh, of people who are single, which are completely inappropriate, and actually produce a level of grief. And I want to acknowledge that this evening. There is a level of grief uh, associated with singleness. Um, And the Bible actually acknowledges the fact that there is a level of grief associated with singleness. One of the places is, in a place uh, that does this, is in Judges chapter 11. It's a pretty horrific story, actually. Um, Some have described it as the first recorded women's weekend away. I'm not quite sure whether I'd describe it like that. But Jephthah makes a promise to God that if he wins a battle, he will offer as a sacrifice the first thing he sees coming towards him. Uh, Very sadly, it's his daughter. And as the story unfolds, she finds out that she is going to be sacrificed. Now, of course, this is not something that God supports or commends at all. But this is what Jephthah does. He decides to sacrifice his daughter. And her response to this is this. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends. And you might expect her to say, because I'm going to die. But what she actually says is, because I will never marry. Now, there is a sense of grief uh, with the idea of singleness. And as I've talked with many of my single friends, they have pointed this out. There is a, a grief that comes with that. Narelle Jarrett, who's uh, a woman who's ministered in this uh, diocese for many, many years, uh, a single woman, has written about it in these terms. Because the griefs of singleness and of not having children are so deep, so real and so totally right, they cannot be dismissed or dealt with by anything other than allowing ourselves to grieve. Grieving with the friends who understand and who don't simply imply that we're being self-centred or self-pitying, or even that we're doubting God's goodness. Such hurtful and totally inappropriate, even cruel responses to women and men in grief do not help. help. In fact, they add to isolation and loneliness and to the grief. There is a certain grief involved, and I think this kind of grief actually is heightened by the cultural context we're in and this romanticism that we have. Now, the good news is the Bible has something to offer here. It has a different narrative, a different way of thinking about singleness, actually a very rich and meaningful way. And I think we as a church, as a church family, have something rich and beautiful to offer, not only to people in our churches, 
but to our community around us who are idolising romances. We have something to offer that's unique and interesting and different and beautiful. And it's to do with singleness. And so this evening I want to continue to think about what that beautiful picture that the Bible paints is. One of the places that I think this narrative starts to appear is in Isaiah. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, you remember that the people of Israel are under oppression from Assyria. Um, The whole book of Isaiah is moving kind of from a picture of Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem. There's a sense of hope and a, a future. Um, In Isaiah 53, we hear of someone who is coming, who will bring about that new uh, hope and a new future. And we read these words. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we have been healed. Now, of course, this is pointing forward to Jesus, the Messiah, who's the one who is coming, who actually is single himself and knows what it means to carry our sorrows and heal our wounds. And as Isaiah points forward to this, this figure that is coming in Jesus, he says some very interesting things about singleness. Now, this is not the complete picture. I just want to get you, give you a sense of where it's going. See there in Isaiah 54, the passage that we actually read, there's a comment about the barrenness of women. Uh, One of the big things in the Old Testament is that if you weren't married or you didn't have children, there was a sense in which uh, your life wasn't complete or wasn't um, full and you, you could actually suffer shame from your community and be humiliated. Now I think this passage in Isaiah 54 is referring to Jerusalem as well, but there's a hint that something different is coming. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, talking about accommodating more people. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you are spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Now in those words you hear some hope, a promise of a future. A promise that's quite different to those who are gathered and who are being married. And who may have thought of people who were single as not quite complete. Isaiah 56 paints us another picture of a eunuch. In Isaiah 56, verses 3 and four, uh, three to 5, we read these words. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give a temple and in its walls, sorry, I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. For you see, for the male in the Old Testament, the idea that your name wouldn't continue would bring great shame, would bring great grief. And yet the promise here is of something beautiful. You will have a name, you will have a place within the temple, 
you will have a place within God's purposes. And in fact, you'll have more sons and daughters. That's kind of an interesting picture, isn't it? It it says something hopeful and positive uh, to the person who is single. After Isaiah, of course, um, as history unfolds, we come to the time of Jesus. One of the interesting things that Jesus says is he says at the resurrection in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And so Jesus raises this very interesting idea that at the end of time, there will be actually no marriage as we gather together as his people. That's quite startling, really. It's into that context and in that se- into that sense of trajectory that we see here that we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we start to see Paul unfolding this and helping us understand the place of sing- singleness within a Christian community. So I want you to come with me to look at this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 7. The first thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 is that single people have a place within the life of the church. Now, that might sound a strange thing to say. But if you've grown up in a culture and in a community where the expectation is that you should be married, then this is quite a significant moment. Verse 25. I have no command from the Lord, but I give you a judgment as one by, by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, now we're not entirely sure what the present crisis is. Uh, could well be that there's a famine. It could be refer- referring to the idea that Jesus is going to return. could be anything. We're just actually not told. I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Remain as you are. He goes on to list our marriedness and singleness. Um, and he actually says that singleness is a way of remaining as you are. Now back early in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, you might have heard uh, we talked about the gift of singleness. Um, I want to suggest to you, last year we did a a series on gifts and we um, asked people to think about what their gifts are and one of the gifts that was there was uh, the gift of singleness. Uh, You might remember that if you filled out that gift survey. I think the gift survey got it completely wrong. I don't think the gifts is like that. I think this is actually what Paul is referring to when he says the gift of single. He's talking about remaining as you are in the time you are. That's a gift to be in the time that you are. I just wanted to point that out as an aside because I know some people had questions about that gift survey and and the gift of singleness that it raised. Paul goes on to say, um, in this present crisis, I want you to remain as you are. And then he gives uh, a further reason later down in verse 28. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. Um, Okay, there's going to be trouble in marriage. He goes on to allude a little bit later to what that means. But basically at this point, he's saying, Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if, you do not, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marriage, she has not sinned. In other words, Paul's giving us a number of options here. A number of ways of being within the life of the church. And I think this is important to recognise. He goes on to apply that in various ways. Um, to those who engage, he says, get married. Um, 
to the person who's unmarried. Well, actually, it might be even better if you don't get married, because uh, it might not kind of distract you from things. And to the widowed, he says, well, if you are a widowed kind of in, in a widowed situation, um, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. And of course, that's the caveat there, the idea that you should marry someone who loves the Lord. Uh, but in my judgment, uh, she is happier if she stays as she is. And so Paul is actually helping us see that there is a place within the life of a church for someone who is single. Paul is conceiving of both marriage and singleness as two different vocations. They're pointing in two different directions. Each are worthy within the life of the church. Each are part of the Christian community. Each of them have a place within the Christian community. And Paul is affirming that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Well, Paul has some more to say and he goes on to say that in some ways, singleness reminds us that we are on a pilgrimage. Verse 29, what I mean, brothers, is that time is short. Uh, a little bit later on, he goes on to explain that as for this, for this world in its present form is passing away. Now, Paul is pointing out that actually this world won't exist in its current form. Um, it will actually pass away in time. He's reminding us that actually we're on a pilgrimage. They're all on a journey from this world to the next. And so in light of that, he says these word, words. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they're not, they, they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. He's saying, remember, actually walk through this world remembering that this is not all that there is. He has something particularly to say about the material world. For example, he says there in verse 30, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. It's kind of a reminder that actually we live at a particular period of time. That actually marriage doesn't last forever. That actually the material things that we have won't last forever. Augustine put it this way. We cannot love what is eternal unless we cease to love what is temporal. Learn to dismiss it, dismiss it before you are dismissed by it. We're being reminded to hold on to things lightly. Or perhaps if you're not so used to Augustine, you might like Paul Buchanan, Colin Buchanan. They're all going to fade. They're all going to rust. They're all going to start to fall apart. They're all going to turn to dust. All that stuff is going to be trashed. Only the things of the Lord will last. It's an important reminder. I can remember the day that I saw a skip outside someone's place. Only a month before, there was an older couple living there. Unfortunately, they died at the same time. And when I went past their place and found out what was going on, the kids were there, putting all the possessions in the skip. 
parents had died, there was no use keeping those things. All the things had turned to dust. All their accumulated wealth was just being thrown out. It's a good reminder that Paul has for us here that actually time is short. We're on a pilgrimage. We ought to be thoughtful about the things that we are hanging on to in this world. And it's for that reason he goes on to say that singleness only not has, has to do with being in a pilgrimage, but actually has a purpose. And we see that here in verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. In verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided attention to the Lord. Paul goes on to point out that there's a purpose in the singleness. And in verse 33, we hear this. But a married man is concerned about how the affairs of the, of the affairs of this world, how he will please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But, an unma- but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. And the reality is that is just true. If you're married, and particularly if you end up also having kids, your loyalties are divided. You commit to lots of different things. Your life becomes full in lots of different ways. Now, that's not to suggest that if you're a single person, your life doesn't get full in lots of other ways either. But there is a temptation to think that this world is all that there is, and your wife and your family, or your husband and your family, is all that there is. And there's a temptation here to worship those things in a way that leads you and distracts you from serving the Lord. And Paul is saying here, actually the gift of singleness at this point is that you have an opportunity to serve the Lord in unique and different ways. Now, Not everyone's in the same boat, but some people have done this in remarkable ways. I think of Margaret Rogers, a member of our church for about 30 years, uh, who came to this church, a single woman, uh, who served the Lord for many, many years. She served the Lord in in this diocese, in a number of different churches, by running Deaconess House, uh, but she also served the Lord internationally. And she did that as a person who was single. Uh, She decided that that's the way she would devote her life. Uh, to serving the Lord and serving different people in all kinds of different contexts. Uh, She even very generously left this church some money to support ministry. She said, don't spend it on buildings, spend it on ministry. She was passionate about ministry and passionate about seeing the gospel spread throughout the world. She devoted her life to these things. Now, she was a pretty unique woman. But there are others, many others, who have served the Lord in that way. I can think of two women um, that we know, good friends of ours. Um, One of them's a nurse, the other's a teacher. And they decided about 20 years ago to sell up their property and move down the south coast. Sell up their properties, rather, and move down the south coast. And they bought a property down the south coast, and it had a nice house on it and some acreage, and they were able to put cows on it and chooks and various things like that. 
And then they fixed up a little shed on the property and started letting that out very cheaply to people who are in ministry or people who are in crisis. Then they built a whole new house with three bedrooms uh, on their property to do the same thing. And so over the years, hundreds of people had gone to their property uh, to be ministered to them by, to them by this couple, um, by these two women, uh, to have a ministry, uh, but also just to have, let people have a break. And so there was all kinds of different things. And also they saw the opportunity to serve the church locally. They thought, oh, we'll go to a country town because actually country towns need Christians and we can serve there as well. They've now retired. They can't maintain their property anymore. Very sadly, we don't get to go down there anymore. But they actually built another house. And guess what What they did when they built the other house? They put an extra room in the house because they saw someone locally who needed support and care and they invited her to come and live with them. Always serving the Lord. That was their passion. That is their passion. And that's what they've been doing all the days of their lives. Now what I'm suggesting here is a pretty tall order. It's a pretty big ask in the midst of the messiness of life and the griefs and the strains and the desires and the hopes that we have. And I recognise that. I recognise Paul's challenge here is not easy. And so I want to remind you again this evening of those words from Isaiah chapter 53, of the one who lived his life as a single person. He walks beside us. Surely he took out our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. It's only in his strength and in his power that we can live this way, whether we're married or whether we're single, to the glory of our God and Father. Amen. Now, as a way of exploring this a little bit further this evening, I'm going to invite Sally to come and join us. Um, and I just want to ask her a couple of questions as we think through the issues uh, involved, particularly in singleness. Sally, thank you for joining us. No problem. Um, now, I think I've got to ask you your full name, apparently. Oh, that's, okay. that's the thing we've got to do. All right. Um, Sally Louise Coombs. Nothing Fan. too exciting about that. My mum's middle name is Louise. I think that's where Beautiful. Louise came from. Oh, <laughs> That's really Sorry. nice. Sorry. Um, Sally, for those of you who don't know you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? And... Yeah, sure. Um, this morning I announced my age because I didn't know what to say, but <laughs> I'll move on from that. I um, go to this church, obviously. I um, live in Annandale with a friend uh, from this service who's not here tonight, um, unfortunately. Uh, and I work two jobs. One job is here, I'm working three days a week, and I'm involved in uh, pastorally overseeing things with the ministry team. Um, I'm involved in this service and the morning service uh, to help with uh, welcoming and integration, helping people be a part of the life of our church. Um, and I run a Bible study group for the morning service. Uh, as well as just loving getting to know people um, and yeah, discipling people, walking with them in Jesus, which I love. And the other two days of the week, I 
working ultrasound um, at Concord Hospital. Okay, fantastic. That's good. Now, tell us a little bit more about um, your journey as a single woman, and particularly in light of this passage and what we've been talking about tonight. Can you just chat about that for a bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, um, I just want to say that um, I'm single because I'm uh, not yet married, so that's my circumstance, and I'm very aware that in a uh, room this size, there's um, a whole range of life experience and much that I have not experienced myself and uh, that people find themselves being single um, for reasons that can be quite complex and uh, that can uh, be thought about by uh, painful experiences and uh, deep loss and um, hurt and grief. Um, so as I share, I'm not uh, pretending to know that I know what that's like, um, but I'm just sharing from my experience and my knowledge of um, God and the Bible and what he teaches in relation to being single. Um, so, yeah, I think, so I became Christian when I was uh, late teens and uh, had a lot of great Christian friends. Um, and in my 20s, especially early 20s, I kind of, um, I guess, went with the thought of our culture that um, kind of sold marriage as the ideal. So I was a Christian, um, a Christian, uh, and thought that um, like I was um, sold the ideal of marriage, that marriage is the ideal, that even though I'm Christian, I'm still waiting a little bit for um, my identity to be fully um, fulfilled, for life to start, for loneliness to end, and that that would happen pretty soon. I'd get married and, um, yeah, all those things would happen. And uh, I guess the great thing about that um, was that uh, God, in his grace, uh, taught me and is still teaching me that there's a good and a big and a bigger vision um, than just being married, um, that being in Christ and being um, his daughter and uh, saved into a family of believers is a really great um, thing. So um, I've been blessed to have, I think, quite an uncomplicated um, life so far in that uh, God has allowed me to be undivided in um, my attention to him. I'm very aware uh, that I've had opportunities to really grow in my love and knowledge um, of God and to love and serve people in ways that my married friends haven't been able to just because of their circumstance. Um, and that's a great blessing from mm. God. Um, yeah, and in saying all of that, uh, I, like it hasn't all been easy and it's not always easy. Um, I'd say that as Roger mentioned, um, I do recognize, uh, I, I go through periods of um, just recognizing more intense times of sort of underlying grief uh, and just recognizing that um, I'm not married and seeing lots of my really good friends uh, be married and that changes my friendship with them uh, as well as me just feeling that kind of loss. Um, and yeah, and I guess as I get older, the, there's the potential that uh, maybe I won't have kids and so there's a grief there. Um, and uh, I think what's been great about being able to recognize that grief is uh, just knowing as a Christian that we're allowed to recognize the emotion that's there um, and uh, we have permission to recognize it and 
to let it be and to bring it before God and uh, pray to him and to share that as well with each other and carry each other's burdens and griefs. Uh, and I think uh, in saying all that, I don't say that um, to make single people an object of pity or anything like that. Um, it's just a thing and we um, can carry that with each other when needed. Um, yeah, and the one other thing, yeah, I think with grief, um, something that I've experienced that I'm thankful for is, um, Roger also alluded to it, uh, just that God heals um, the brokenhearted and uh, he is not a stranger to uh, loneliness and uh, grief and singleness even and uh, was uh, made like us in every way and is able to sympathise with our weaknesses and um, that's a real truth and comfort and I think God ministers to me in that way and enables me to minister to others and uh, yeah, just remind me to share that with people and I think we can all share that together. Okay, well, what yeah. would you then say some of the challenges for a single person might be uh, within a church context, within in, in life in general, mm. uh, to help us kind of understand that a little bit better? Yeah, uh, I think as um, a lot of you could, you could, any, probably most people here could stand up and say what the challenges are. So, and there are many, um, as well as many joys. Uh, so the things I'll say, uh, some things that I've heard some of you guys say and some things that I've experienced in different ways as well. Um, obviously, uh, being single means that um, you don't have someone kind of fairly regularly and easily, that you don't have the regular and easy companionship um, and someone committed to staying by your side. Um, for life, God willing. Um, so I think the in implications that um, come from that uh, can be practical, uh, in a practical sense, especially if we live by ourselves, just things like, um, you know, uh, not like for a girl, I'll just do some gender um, <laughs> generalizations here. Um, for a girl, kind of, uh, you know, my friend the other night, got home at 10 p.m. Liz by herself and her hot water system blew up and um, it was a bit of a disaster and she thought, oh, who do I ring? Like, um, who can help me here right now? Or um, recently uh, in our house we needed to drill some holes. I don't have a drill and I don't know how to do that. Um, it'd be good to have some people to help with that or we don't love spiders in our house. Um, <laughs> things like that. Um, uh, but... Yeah, a bit more seriously, I guess, um, even though those are <laughs> real things. Um, <laughs> I think, that, yeah, not having someone to uh, make decisions with, um, who's that person who seems, seems to kind of, yeah, be with you in life to uh, journey with in the same way. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, buying houses, what to do with jobs, um, where to live, where to settle down, you know, all those kind of things, I guess we don't have that. Um, and maybe on an even bigger uh, level, um, having to cope with relational change or loss um, that comes from, uh, you know, possibly staying in a place for an extended amount of time. Uh, like here, for example, um, many great people come into our lives and go, and that's their good things. Um, but 
uh, single people, even though it seems like they have the freedom to get up and go whenever, um, don't always want to and want to settle down. And so I guess um, there's that um, tension of friendship. Um, yeah, and I'll talk a bit in a sec about, like, I think an, an, a new vision for um, church, family and community can really speak into that and uh, change those things because the way I've described them seem... Uh, possibly negative or, you know, like it's uh, all, all doing things alone or it's a lonely experience and it can be, but I think, yeah, our new vision for church. Yeah, well, I mean, I th- what, what Paul's really saying is there's two vocations, married life and singleness, and both mm. of them belong within the life of the church, but really the church is like a family mm. uh, where we support one another and encourage one another, and I guess the question then becomes, how do we as a church do this better? Like, one of the things I'm aware of is if we've overemphasized one end of things in terms of marriage and the way to do that, we also need to think about, uh, carefully, how do we, how do we support people in, uh, helpfully, uh, in, in single life as well, Ooh. in that vocation. Yeah. So, yeah, you've yeah. got, you know, any thoughts? Yeah, I have a few thoughts and again, I'm sure you guys have a lot. So, these things that I say, I hope to be conversation starters and potential culture changes, um, for us that um, it's just the beginning of planting seeds of how to do um, family life really well um, as believers in Christ. Uh, so I think I would start by just saying uh, that we need to let God continue to remind us and to remind each other um, yeah, what a biblical family is like and to not let our culture tell us what family is like because uh, as we've said, um, yeah, marriage and family is idealised and that has happened in church as well. But um, we know that um, we are saved into a new family and that uh, singleness is um, just as good, uh, possibly better than being married. And so there's no hierarchy in that sense. And, um, yeah, we need to... Uh, just work out and model what um, heaven would be like, uh, seeing as marriage and marriage has been relativized since Jesus and um, singleness is the new uh, kind of expression of family together in heaven and we can practice and imitate that now. Um, so I think uh, with family, you turn up to things whether or not you feel like it. Uh, so turning up to church, turning up to Bible study, um, helps us to be a family and to love each other and to know what our needs are. Um, one quite practical thing, I think, is for single and married people to talk to each other about the joys and struggles of both, um, uh, what's the word you're using? Um, both vocations, <laughs> thank you, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, here, I love to hear from my married friends what, what is great in marriage, but also the realities of the daily um, strains and struggle that it is. And, um, yeah, I hope to, I need to get better at this, but I hope to be able to talk to my married friends about what's great and what's hard about being single. Um, and I think in doing that, there's a lot of great things, but um, it takes off the rose-coloured glasses for us um, about what is better. I think uh, sometimes it feels like all the single people want is to be married, but actually a lot of married people see uh, single life and want that, and, and marriage can be hard. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
that's, um, that'll help us and it'll help us um, to just share life together, um, to help each other be holy and godly, um, to share what those uh, individual struggles are for each other um, in marriage and singleness and to support each other and pray for each other. But also we can let each other know what our needs are. Um, so when I need someone to kill a spider in my house, I can ring Okay, or something. <laughs> um, in fact, that's happened for me. Someone, uh, someone, uh, a woman was driving home in her car one night, and I got this frantic call, and she was just like desperate. I thought, oh, something must, she must have had an accident or something. A spider was in her car. And so I got called out to somewhere in Epping to go and rescue this, to kill the spider. Yeah, great. Was, I was very happy to do that, but I think that's a good example of where we should be able to call one another and say, hey, can I help out? What can Ooh, I do at yeah. any hour of the night? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. For us to feel okay to do that as family, you know, I guess a good nuclear family would hopefully do for each other. Um, and, but I think there's, yeah, kind of more other helpful things, uh, like, um, for single people, sometimes particular times of day or night or stages of life are more lonely than others. And so knowing when they can call someone, um, in one of those books that we were selling up there, um, a guy who was um, same-sex attracted and choosing to be celibate um, talked about around 10pm being lonely and each night knowing which friend they could call uh, to help them with that. Um, but, yeah, there's many other examples and hopefully it's the beginning of a conversation um, for us. And uh, I think as well as a community, um, especially where we're located, uh, it's good for us to start thinking about how we can just do community life well and be involved in each other's lives in a real loving way um, as single and married people. Um, and yeah, maybe even what friendship might look like. And uh, even uh, we talked about this in our friendship series, but what it might look like even to uh, make a vow in friendship with someone or, you know, to, um, yeah, have that commitment with people, uh, married or single, um, yeah, to long term, yeah. long term, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. to walk Those beside each other. Okay. Yeah, like I have some friends that I, um, have asked to, yeah, walk beside me, uh, in ministry, um, for all my life who live in all different places and we meet up at certain times and I have friends who live closer now and I say, I tell them I need their friendship and, um, yeah, for two weeks we, um, catch up, but, um, yeah, those things help and mm. are great for, yeah, companionship and, um, yeah, doing life together. So. so how do we as a Christian community also kind of keep reminding each other of the, the various vocations that we're called to and the way to live out that life? Have you got mm. any particular suggestions around that? Yeah, um, I think with, um, yeah, I think uh, it's good for us, like I said before, to continue to let God inform us um, about the good vocation it is to be single and not to let um, the culture inform us of that. Um, so to remember that singleness uh, is not a problem, um, but loneliness is. Um, and loneliness actually won't be cured in marriage, uh, but... It can be cured in a community um, of real uh, and loving friendships. Um, 
And as a quick side note here, I think Roger said it, but as a wisdom issue, um, I don't think the cure for loneliness is to marry um, a non-Christian. Um, it's trying to share life with someone who doesn't share your number one love. Uh, we'll add to the loneliness, I think, amongst many things. Um, yeah, but I think our new vision uh, that we've heard tonight is that um, uh, even amongst the sometimes and often real pain and grief um, that singleness can bring um, for some people uh, in different periods of life, um, and amongst a good desire to be married, um, that remembering uh, that in Christ we have a new and a good vision for being single uh, for however long it lasts. It may be a season and it may be for life. Uh, but singleness isn't a problem to be fixed and it's not second rate. Um, it's good and it has advantages over marriage even, um, as we've heard tonight, um, that we're fulfilled and completed and accepted in Christ and we don't need to find our acceptance and identity in anything else, just as it is for married people as well. Um, yeah, and let me just say I've a couple of things. Uh, we've, born, we've been born into a new family uh, of brothers and sisters starting now um, and going into eternity, and we have the chance to experience that and imitate it and model it now in a rich tapestry of friendship and community. Um, and for however long our season of singleness is, um, it's a privilege, I think, to consider what it might look like for us in this season to know and serve God with undivided attention. Um, yeah, let, I think I, um, yeah, in God's grace, have uh, really loved and enjoyed uh, on the whole being single and uh, having the opportunity to do that. And I think that's part of the call of 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and yeah, it's a good thing. So that's, I think, what I would say. <laughs> Thank you, Sally. Um, it's great having you answer those questions for us tonight and just share um, so uh, really of yourself. I really appreciate that. And I think that the beautiful thing here is that we can offer uh, each other a different view, or God has offered us a very different view of what it means to be his people. Uh, but it's also an offer that we can offer to those around us. Uh, it's a real hope and a real richness here. And I just want to encourage us as a church to kind of grasp onto that and to continue the conversations and work out how this works with each other and speak into each other's lives just as Sally's back into into our thanks Sam. I really appreciate it. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.